What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. What's it take to be a real winner? Not just winning on a court, not just winning a championship, not just etching your name in record books, but what's it mean to be a real winner? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. I hope your summer of 2023 is going solid. It is going fast, but that means we got great things ahead this fall, right? Basketball, football, man, the the, the big run of baseball and the MLB. Well, today we get to sit down with somebody who understands winning. Literally, he's won at every level. He won in his years playing basketball. He won in his years coaching basketball. He's won as an athletic director. And when we were talking, he was the athletic director at the University of Pikeville, loving his career, loving his life. And then all of a sudden, a great door swung open just recently for him to become the athletic director at Moorhead State University. And here's what I know. He'll win there, too. Why? Kelly Wells is a winner. He's won in so many aspects of his life, but he's won most spiritually with his family and the things off the court and out of the boardroom that he's had to win over. Today is going to be an inspiring, challenging story when you hear Kelly Wells unpack his journey. Mm. It was so good meeting him. We've got a mutual friend, Marlon Longacre, and he was kind enough to connect us. And I'm telling you, I got off the call and I was better. He made me better. So maybe today you need to remember what it means to be a real winner. So I want you to listen up and I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to Kelly Wells, the athletic director at Moorhead State University, talk about real winning. Well, Coach Wells, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, I think the honor is mine. I appreciate you thinking of me and uh, hopefully we can add some value to your podcast and your message and uh, just trying to be a, a lead servant over here in Pikeville, Kentucky, and hopefully we can share some good stuff with you. I love it. You know, here you are, you're sitting wearing the hat of athletic director now, but You weren't always that. When you were growing up as a little boy, what did you dream life would look like for you? Well, I I was basketball through and through. So my father was a college uh, basketball coach, coached women's basketball at Moorhead State. And so I I learned to play with with the ladies. They taught me everything that I I knew basketball-wise and uh, was in the gym, was in the office. I was part of the staff and went on the road trip. So I never thought basketball would end for me in any facet. So I just thought I'd keep playing until I got done playing. And uh, after that, I'd figure it out. And that 
ended up coming to a little bit of a quick halt and and I knew influence and I knew uh, basketball were the two things I loved to do and uh, kind of led me into the coaching realm which I never thought I would get out of that and uh, then of course moved into uh, uh, the athletic director role here at the university and have really loved that it's unique it's different uh, and I'm kind of adjusting to that piece but it's been uh, an amazing career path for me over the time that I've I've had opportunity. You know, I know I've read some other interviews with you. Your parents were huge and instrumental in your in your journey, not just watching your dad coach. And I know your mom was administrative assistant. What did your parents do well? As you look back in the rearview mirror of life, what did they do well, knowingly or unknowingly, to prepare you for who you are today? Yeah, I, I don't know if we've got time probably to cover all of those those kind of things, but uh, we we throw the word around impactful a lot in our lives. There, there's nothing more impactful than the love of parents. And, mm. you know, my dad wasn't perfect. My mom wasn't perfect, uh, but they bet on me and they, they, they believed in me. And there was nothing that um, – that we had our, that our beliefs were, were for that they weren't going to push as hard as they can uh, to make sure they came true for myself and my sister. Um, it's been devastating not having them in our lives, but I also uh, know that I'll, I'll get to, to be with them again someday and we'll enjoy that time. Uh, but I try to carry on that tradition. And we talk to our people all the time about our brand. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the greatest thing my parents gave me was my last name uh, and I guard it. I protect it. Uh, I try to represent it the right way. And, um, I hope they're shining down and very proud of their son. And uh, I miss them every minute. Mm. When you, when you think about that and you think about who you are now, when did you start seeing yourself as a leader? Cause all those years you were in coaching leadership was just a part of it. And it probably wasn't necessarily a book you read. Some of it was probably some instincts that came out. When did, when did Kelly Wells, great basketball career, but now you're changing hats. When did you start seeing yourself as a leader? Well, I, I think as a, I guess as a, as a growing up as a Christian and growing up as a, uh, a very motivated athlete, uh, a very motivated student, I think you just genuinely have leadership skills because you learn to tell people, no, you mm-hmm. learn to stand on your beliefs. You learn to, take the path that you want versus the path everybody else chooses. So I think you develop some of those leadership skills as you're growing. Um, my father and mother encouraged me to be involved in as many activities as I could get involved with that were around healthy, good people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I tried to flourish in those kind of roles. And I knew probably early on that I would be involved in some type of leadership. I don't think you can be good at sport if you don't have leadership qualities, even as a player. Mm. Uh, I can tell you something and not hurt your feelings or tell you something to hurt your feelings. You've got to figure that communication system out. So I think athletics teaches us, and I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings, teaches everything that you need to know as a, as a man or a woman coming into society. I think Coaching done right teaches those things. I learned to pray from my high school, uh, my freshman basketball coach. He uh, was very involved in what we did. You know, they encouraged us to go to youth group. Uh, I learned how to set a table from my dad's old notebooks he gave to his to his team where the forks and the knives went. So, like, I think coaching done well and done right, uh, you learn a whole lot of the things that you need to know. 
So your your faith has always been a part of your journey. When did that, when did it begin to grow in you and when did it become yours? Was that something that happened when you were a little boy or was that a high school thing, college thing? When did you really take up ownership of it being your faith? Yeah, I think it was my mom's faith for a long time. I yeah. think she drugged me to uh, to every service that there was. It was it wasn't an option on Wednesday night. It wasn't an option on Sunday night. She she brought me and my sister everywhere we went, uh, whether we wanted to or not, whether we had a game or we had whatever. And I think she put that that power of positivity into ourselves just manually. She mm-hmm. made that be a part of it. I don't think I truly took it ownership as it being mine uh, until I had some tough life stuff happen. So like I was always felt like a good person. I tried to do the right things and I tried to uh, lead a life of good works. As we know, that doesn't get us to heaven, but certainly a big part of spreading the message of the gospel. And I think the best thing for me, while it was tough, was going through some very tragic times and some very hard times with my health and losing my career and uh, going through some uh, I had two kidney transplants that really affected my entire life. And to see in the, the power of, of God putting people in our lives strategically to help us get to those missions, just I think that's when the ownership to me came mm. over. And it wasn't just a thing. I just tried to be a good guy. Uh, I actually tried to be the guy that, that, that followed, that did, uh, did the prayers at night and made sure I followed the call of God versus just the call of, of what I wanted to do. You know, I heard Joni Erickson Tata, who was – really big in my generation growing up or make a statement. She said, pain can introduce us to a Jesus. We could have never known another way. So those years of adversity, I'm glad you went there. When you went through the kidney transplants, what, what did it do for Kelly Wells that no book could teach you? No speaker to, could encourage you with what did that, what did that valley probably would probably be a good term for it for you? What did it do to change you? Well, I, this is, I, I say this all the time. I think the hardest message we have as Christians is to get people to understand what faith looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, while I can say that, man, I have faith that this job's going to work out and I have faith that my marriage is going to work out. When you're, when you're faced with a scenario where you have zero control, and when I say zero, I mean absolutely zero control of the scenario, it's amazing the faith that you have uh, developed. So mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in a room all alone, there's no one else to look at. There's no one ask help for, uh, to lean on. And, and you've seen the old cell phone commercials that say, can you hear me now? Uh, I, I, I could hear, uh, mm-hmm. I heard loudly. So when you're in a position where you have no control over the circumstance, it's amazing what you can accomplish and who you lean on. And, uh, I saw faith as vivid and clear as faith could ever be given to me. That's so good. You know, in, in coaching, gosh, you won a state championship in high school in 03 as a coach. You won the NAIA national championship in 2011 there at uh, Pikeville. What what would you tell your players about adversity when you were coaching, but then when you lived it out, you go, gosh, I wish I could go back and tell them this about adversity on the court. What would you say? Well, I... I, I kind of lived transparently in my coaching. I, I felt like it was important uh, for my athletes and my people to kind of know what coach was going through. I, I felt like that was a part of the impact. And I've never been a, uh, you're going to do it my way. That's that's the only way it's to be done. I, I really try to touch 
kids and some some of them may not think my tough love was very loving but mm. uh certainly i tried to coach out of love and respect and i wanted our team to play so hard and so good because they wanted to do great and they respected what we were doing uh and so like i I tried to show them what grit looked like. You know, I, I came to work when I felt terrible. You know, they could see it on my face. They would visit me in the hospital. They could see those things vividly. So it wasn't like I had a message that wasn't true. It was factual. I mean, they saw it. They lived it. Um, and I, I think most of them now, we have great relationships and we talk about it. I, I think they, they performed out of respect and love versus out of just me demanding something out of them. Take take away that journey. Take away the journey you went through with your kidneys and all that came along with that. You win a championship in 03 and you win another championship. High school wasn't the greatest basketball state in the country. You guys in Indiana, and then you win a college NAI national championship, an incredible run you guys went on. And you never walk through the personal adversity. What would be different about you today if you hadn't walked that valley, if you, what do you think would have been different about you as a leader, you as a coach, you as a husband, you as a father? What would you say? I, I, I probably wouldn't be as as gritty as a person mm-hmm. as I am, um, and, and I, I love that. There's a there's a book called What's Your One Word, and that's mine. I, I always I can't reread the book and find a different word. That just seems to be my identity, and I, I don't know that I would have had that immense amount of grit. Um, I know when I was a player, like I, I felt like looking back now, there was probably a lot of soft time that I could have been so much tougher and so much better. And, uh, had I went through some of that kind of stuff and I, I probably had some things handed to me and my parents took care of me. I didn't, I don't have a story to share that my parents were bad or my parents did bad things. My sister and I struggled through this, that we don't have that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were probably a little soft and entitled, uh, I think some of this gave me a different perspective of we were, we were abnormal. You know, that wasn't the norm, especially That's the right. kids I coach. Uh, and it gave me a different perspective. So I don't think those things would have happened. Uh, I don't have a quit feature. Like I was not given one of those. So like not fouling at the end of a game and letting time run out or not competing to the buzzer. Like I don't have that gene. It wasn't given to me. So I can't apologize or change that. Uh, but I think those times set me on that, that course. You know, your 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 season of coaching came to an end. You moved into athletic administration, which I want to talk about a little bit. If you were to sit down a, a coach from a high school or a coach from a college, they sat down with you and they said, you know, tell me what I need to know about coaching. If you could, if you could impart one passionate thing to them, what would you tell them? That's easy. That's the that's the one refresher I get for getting out of coaching. And don't let winning and losing define you as a person. Uh, I think that's the biggest struggle all of us coaches, and really in any profession. Don't let your success be tied to just you know a, a big bank account. Don't let it be tied to how many cars you sell. That's not your identity. That will never be your identity. Now there are times I felt like trash after a Saturday afternoon loss that we should have won and. Man, I felt like that was me and I owned it and I took it home and I gave it to my wife and I gave it to my kids and man, don't, don't do that. That's, that's the hardest thing for coaches to understand is that's what we do. That is not who we are. Mm. Uh, and it is, it, it can, it crushes careers. And I know we all chase winning. I mean, that's part of it, but here's what I would suggest is find what winning looks like for you. 
Uh, for me, it looks totally different than anybody else. And I was able to do that, but I still had moments. It was, it was crushing when you lost, you know, it just, the winning was just like whew, onto yep. the next one and loss was just depleted. So that would be my, that would be my suggestion. What did you, what, what were some of the things you put into place in your life to not let that get its stranglehold on you? You know, that it takes the good of what you're wanting to do and makes it, you know, makes it a, a burden. What were some of the things you put into place in your life to help you in that? Well, I, I think I heard it this weekend and in, in, actually on Sunday, it's not about your title. It's about your tasks at hand. So mm. if I'm only playing and coaching because I want to win or win ball games. I don't need to be a coach anyway. That's the wrong perspective. So the tasks are still the task, whether we won that game or we lost that game. And there's not a, nobody puts a finish line for a coach. Like here's your finish line. This is where you get it. You got it. You stop and you go. It's constant movement, constant growth. So perspective is is one to understand. Uh, I've always been around supportive uh, people. My bosses, every place that I've ever been have been extremely supportive and I, you know, just frankly, winning is just a byproduct of doing a whole lot of other things really good. It's not about just showing up to win. So, like, I, I think putting some of those in there, I think your faith is incredibly important. Uh, if you don't have someone that you have a great relationship that you can go to every day that cares and loves about you, you have no chance. I mean, that's you just have no support team there. And, um, you know, I think perspective and, and support were the two things. Uh, and, and really just getting over myself probably a little bit, you know, I'm not that important. Nobody gives a rip. If I lose every, every game I ever play, who do I think I am for thinking that that, can't, that guy cares, you know, That's right. so like I think some humbleness and servanthood and understand that my job, my task there is to be a servant of these young kids. It's not about, they didn't come out, not, not trying to win or being a robot. So like, I felt like letting some of that guard down uh, helps me a ton. So you move, you move in the athletic director world, but that competitive fire doesn't go away that, that will and that drive and that, but it's measured very, very differently. How do you challenge yourself to not get flat? How do you, how do you keep yourself in a growth mindset, which I've heard you talk about before, you know, where you're always wanting to be better and always want to be growing. How do you do that? What are some things you put in your life to keep you from settling yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I own that quality. So selling for me is not ever a, a an option. I think some of that's my upbringing, probably. I, I think there's certain characteristics we all have as a person that we genuinely just have. It's not something you can develop. I've been blessed to have those or cursed. I don't know which one that is some, mm-hmm. some days. But I, I think your your outlook is, is incredibly important. Um, you know, I have a, uh, just a philosophy of personal growth. Like I want to get better. Like I, I want to read my Bible. I want to read literature. I want to, well, and I'll, I'll be transparent to this too, for those out there that may suffer from this same thing. Like I, I don't love to read. Like that's not my MO. I'm not a person that says just enjoyment. I want to stand and read. I absolutely know the value of reading and I absolutely know how impactful it is in my life. So there are times in our lives where things are tough and you have to just get through them. And, you know, for me, reading is one of them. I know the impact. So I do read and I force myself to read. And uh, once I do it, I feel so much better and uh, it just enlightens me and I can immediately feel the impact. So I know the importance of it. So there may be other people struggling with that too. If you know, it's something you need in your life, it may not come easy. That's right. Uh, that's where the grittiness comes and you have to really, really find time. And we can all make the excuse of being busy. We don't have time to do this. We don't have time to do that. That's, we got to find, put the big rocks in first. Yeah. You know, I, 
basically readers or leaders. What, what, who is somebody that you read, take outside the Bible, who is somebody you read? You're like, man, I love getting my hands on their stuff because it always stretches me. It always challenged me. Any authors out there that have just sort of, they got the kick for you? Yeah, I'm a big John Gordon guy. I, I'm just a, I don't have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively positive all the time. Is that a, double standard relatively positive all the time but i i feel like i i really want that to be who i am you yeah. know if if people come in my office and i'm a a person they don't want to be around i would be regretful of that if i walked in the hallway and they turned and walked the other way or i was in a gym and somebody didn't want to say hello or i was on a street i was at church i don't that's not who i want to be i want to wear a smile so john brings a lot of that out into yeah. me and reinforces some of my behaviors i, I think that's a uh, for me, fills my cup. Uh, it gives me opportunities to continue to reinforce positivity, finding outlooks. The the book, The Soup, is one of my favorite things. It's not about the in, ingredients. It's about who's making the soup. And I think of my mom every time. So I know the impact of good cooks. And uh, I think he, he brings a lot of that out in me. Yeah, John. And what I let, I don't know if you know, John. John is that. That's what I love about John is he's not writing it and living opposite. That's who John is, and uh, he's a he is a delightful human being. He yeah, he'll, he'll put a fire in you, and that that you just can't extinguish. He has that that personality. And he always has time for you. Just uh, we've done many studies with our team from his literature and his books, and just a just a huge fan. And those of you who read a lot of his stuff, my my goal is to be Sammy the Shark. I just want to be that. <laughs> I want to be that guy that's out there that chases his food down, that's hungry all the time, uh, and supports everybody on the way. That's so good. I, I heard you say, uh, you know, you, one of your greatest uh, piece of advice you were ever given was the easy thing is not always the right thing. And the right thing is not always the easy thing. You will never regret doing the right thing. Easy to say, hard to live. Oh, yeah. Why do you keep that out in front for you as a leader that doing the right thing is always worth it? What would you say? Well, I, I fail miserably. I'll just be frank. I think all of us do in, in trying to find that expectation. But I think it's important as a, uh, a beacon to, to make sure that that's the guiding force of where we're trying to get. I, I use a statement all the time. It's like you, you have to kind of find where your line is and what your everything is going to be. And, and my job is to stay above that line as much as I possibly can because the most successful people, most successful ventures all happen above the line. When you fall below that line, as we all do, it's very critical to make sure we flip that and get that as quickly and as thoroughly above the line as we possibly can to our standard of, of excellence. And yep. I don't know what your standard is. I don't. I know what mine is, uh, and I know instantaneously when I fall below, below that line. Mm. And I think that's part of trying to find the right thing all the time, even when it's hard. And those, I've gotten better at hard conversations. But they're they're called hard for a reason because they're not easy. So <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, but uh, I think those are critical to grow. I think those are critical to be honest. Uh, and I, since I've let go of myself, mm. I've been able to have those conversations openly and, and also be able to give examples of here's where I screwed it up miserably, but but I recovered it. Here's what I did. So I just think that's an important beacon to have. That's fantastic. I, I've really never heard anybody say it quite that way. What do you what what do you put in place in your life 
to help you stay above the line? Do you have some accountability built in of guys you meet with? Do you have people that can ask hard questions? What are some of the, the things you've built in to make sure you stay up there? Yeah, well, I, I have the best wife on the planet. She's she's amazing, and she the, the, the gift that she has is she could care less about Kelly Wells as a coach or an athletic director. He just better be above the standard for his wife and his kids. So mm-hmm. she keeps me on par. Um, we have a great relationship. We talk. We communicate. And, you know, I think it's very, very healthy to do partner Bible studies and uh, have a Bible reading uh, person that sticks with you. We do that coaching while we do coaching devotions. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and we bring in someone who leads us through those discussions. I, I think those are critical pieces to, to being able to, uh, you know, keep balance and and keep priorities where they need to be. And I have a great group of friends. Um, and again, I, I don't think our, and I hope this comes out right. I I don't think our, we're intended to have friends who are all just Christians. I, I think our job is to go out and, and, and recruit friends who we want to get into the lifestyle and to, uh, to convert them and uh, to make sure that they do the right things and get them involved in church. And so I have friends at every level. So I'm, I'm very thankful. I can't, very often go into any environment telling non-truth because I've got a friend somewhere who will call me out. So I want to be that person for them that they have someone to come to as well. So a lot of my stability is because I want to make sure that I don't let my friends and my other people down either. You know, it's funny. I, I think in life we, we think, well, if, if I live a certain way and I do a certain thing, then life's going to all go good. And you walk through your kidney battles. And then in 2020, you walk through another battle. You walk through another valley as a as a man, as a son, as a leader in losing both your mom and dad. Um, so we have that in common. I lost my mom and dad within three months of each other in 2017. So and that's what got your name brought up. Marlon told uh, we've got a comment from Marlon Longacre, and Marlon's like, man, I got a buddy in in Kentucky going through exactly what you went through in 2017. What was that like for you, grown man, leading leaders, top of your field, but now you're a son walking this journey? What what was that? And this is probably more of a personal thing for me. What was that like for you over that few months span when you went through all that in 2020? Great question. Uh, I don't know that that I even have my true handles on all of it. It's uh, there's that. They, they, I've, I've been through a lot of things in life. Um, I don't know. We, I think we throw the word heartbroken out sometimes. Yeah. There's nothing more heartbreaking. It, yeah. uh, I lived it. I saw it. Um, still get emotional about it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard. Uh, I think the things for me is, is I knew other people counted on me too to make mm. the right decisions. My mother was the most saintly person that I'd ever went around. We actually, when I was a youngster, we had to do uh, a note card that said a person that you've experienced in your life that reminded you of Jesus, mm. who is that first person? It didn't take me a second. You know, I put that, it was my mother. She had it in her Bible. She saved that. She, that was her mission. That was her goal. So like I, I that she was my spiritual leader for my entire life. She was my all in all. So I went to her for everything. And my father was my personal person and not that he wasn't a good, great man. He, he was an outstanding man and got his life right. Finally, it's the last couple of years of his life and got saved. And uh, I know he and mom are in heaven and it's the greatest victory ever. 
Uh, but he was my, he was my dude. I mean, he, he, he was my dude. Yeah. It's funny. I, I remember my, I was 48, I think when mom and dad passed and my, and my sister's nine years older than me, my brother's 11 years older than me. And we were standing in their driveway at their house. And I remember my sister, we're all grown people. We've all been gone for years and standing there going, we're orphans. And yeah. I thought, now that is the weirdest thought I've ever had in my life. You know, as you think about them and you live out, cause you're like me. I mean, they were, they're so integral in your, in who you are today. What do you hope they say about you? What do you hope that you can do that your parents go? That's what we raised him for. What would you say? Well, I, I hope I'm doing that. I hope I'm a, a great father. I think both of my son, my Mason and, and my daughter Kaylee uh, have a permanent person that they value and trust and love and know unequivocally that they've got a person on their team and their side. Uh, they, they would be super proud of the relationship my wife and I have. Uh, I think that was uh, critically important for them. But first and foremost, I, I think they're, they would be thankful that I lead with Jesus first and not in the back. So mm -hmm. it's easy to do. And we all have jobs and we all are busy, but like I try to tell people all the time, like I can't come to work and just take my skin off. Mm -hmm. You know, he comes with me. It's, it's not like a jacket. It's not for me. It's not something that I can just throw in the backseat of the car and, and be done with it. It's part of me. It's my DNA. And, um, I'm proud of that. I'm thankful that I've worked at universities and high schools and uh, places that I didn't have to be ashamed of who I was and I didn't care who came in my locker room and I didn't care who came to my practice and I, I didn't care to lead the team in prayer after the game and at supper and wherever we were and not everybody has that luxury and that, that opportunity so I, I never was the person to force it on anyone uh, but I felt like it was a whole lot like a history class like once you once you learn and listen a little bit today and it might just attach to you and mm -hmm. uh, just give it an opportunity I'm not pushing anything on you and, and it's been great. I think it's built relationships. It didn't put up a bridge where people wouldn't let me in the door. Uh, but I was never afraid of, of announcing who Kelly Wells was. I wasn't going to do that. You know, the, the Bible says in the book of Acts, David served his purpose in his generation, and then he was done. What do you think's the purpose Kelly Wells was created for? When God knit you together in your mom's womb, what, what do you think you were created to do? Well, I, I, I think it wasn't just me, but I, I think it's all of us, and it's at different levels, and that's to lead people to Jesus and, and try to give them an opportunity to get to heaven with us. And uh, whatever that looks like for everybody's path, we all have different gifts. Some of us choose to use them. Some of them don't. Some of us don't recognize what our gifts are, and uh, I think that's a critical piece as well. So I've been, I've been given a platform or an opportunity, however you want to say, uh, to be a servant, uh, to lead in my role. Uh, I'm not... I never try to tell him I'm your boss, I'm your this, uh, I'm a partner. I serve with you and uh, the students are important to me. My passion just happens to be the college and high school age person. Yep. Not that I don't love adults and things of that nature. I, I think that's kind of my calling and my mission to try to understand that like life's got a lot of pressures. There's a lot of things that go on. Let me help you navigate. Let me help you get through some of those kind of things and show you the way that works for me. I don't have a, a bad story, but God gave me this story and let me share it with you. I, I was trying to grab a word that captured how I felt talking to Kelly. And I think the word would be inspired. I, I think his story, his journey, his life, his passion, 
is inspiring. And I think real winning comes from knowing what you're playing for and knowing what you're living for. And I thought Kelly Wells did a phenomenal job helping us unpack that. Boy, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it's something you'll share with a family member or a friend. You know, the easiest way never to miss an episode on Lynch with a Leader is to be a subscriber. I hope you'll push pause, go subscribe, leave a rating and review, share it with a friend, because we are ramping up for our best fall yet. Woo, we got some good ones coming. Our next episode, we're going to sit down with a new friend of mine, Steve Cuss, and we're going to talk about leadership anxiety and how to manage leadership anxiety. Right after that, we're going to sit down with the number one customer service guy in the world, Horace Schultze, who we know him from Ritz-Carlton, but man, that guy has made a mark and we're going to get sit down with him in early August and unpack what real customer service and, and what that means and where the passion for that comes from. We got a great fall in store. Don't miss an episode because we've got some good ones coming. Once again, thanks for joining today. Now go be the leader God created you to be in the space and place he's put you. Until I see you again, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.